Hello and welcome to the Mostly Weather podcast episode 30. My name is Jeff Norwood-Brown and today I'm joined by Neil Robinson from our informatics lab. Hello. And Nick Silkstone, who's one of our forecasters. Good day. And Penny, who works with our severe weather people. Hello. Right, today we're going to be tackling a fairly morbid subject, which is um, what weather can actually cause us harm. So, what do we think? What is the worst incident that the UK has ever suffered, weather-wise? Go 1987 <laughs> storm, I'll put the it out there. The 1987 storm, so that, that killed quite a few people, and that was a yeah. low-pressure area that rattled across the south of England. Yeah, it killed 18 people. I reckon it's going to be something un expected like a heat wave or something like that i wonder if a heat wave over the course of two weeks might end up killing more people than a storm over the course of 12 hours okay why do yeah okay why do we call it a heat wave by the way do you know the answer to and a cold snap yeah i don't know yeah so that's quite interesting maybe we'll come on to that later nick have you got any ideas i I think we're still working on the exact definition of a heat wave jeff so (laughs) we're not even quite there yet but have you got any thoughts on what was the worst single incident of weather atrocity for the uk i'd have picked something like penny one of the big storms burns night storms such as that okay okay what if i said to you it was fog (laughs) <laughs> wow I told I you it'd be unexpected that. or smog even yeah the and 52 oh. air quality the 52 yeah. this is what the, Dude, I almost said that is air quality <laughs> air quality is my pet favourite should we, should we cut all this and go back to that <laughs> and let you say that yeah so 1952 London um, really really bad smog we had an inversion we had high pressure um, uh, and basically it trapped all the pollution um, under the inversion and what that does is it causes an awful lot of particles to be produced in the atmosphere that uh, you can form droplets onto, and this gave us a very, very thick fog. It's, it's difficult looking at like mortality from these things, right? Because with things like the smog, it just increases people's risks of sort of dying from other things, right? So you're also more likely to die of an asthma attack or die of like a heart attack and things like this while there's these pollution episodes. So is that directly due to the weather or is that something that's sort of, you know... Well, you have to imagine that these people wouldn't have died yeah. on that. And the, the, the immediate impact was uh, they, they think around eight thousand to fifteen thousand people died over a three-day period as a direct result of the smog and then that increases you know so people who suffer with emphysema and asthma and and all sorts of respiratory diseases you know that went on to they they, they estimate twenty five thousand plus that's crazy isn't it? how long was the event against like three days or three something? days yeah three days and they, they called it a pea super because the fog was almost greenish in color um, because of the um, uh, sulfur dioxide that was mixed into the, the water droplets. And, so, so that led on to the Clean Air Act, right? So That, that led on to the Clean Air Act the next year, you know. So, um, And since then, you know, we've had to restrict burning of uh, really, really bad fossil fuels. To, Although it's uh, in- interesting to see this come up in the news in the last few weeks, despite the Clean Air Act, right? Yeah, but we, we also see this in developing nations as well, you know, where, um, you know, uh, they, they still suffer with smog, you know, and you, you see um, people walking around with uh, masks over their faces just to, to, to mitigate that, that sort of situation. Yes, because we saw it in uh, Malaysia and Indonesia, didn't we, when we had those wildfires and uh, right. they had a, an inversion. 
Yeah. And it, it sort of it killed. It's the soot. It was it? the soot. It was yeah. the particulates that yeah. really caused issues for residents. Um, and it went on for weeks, didn't it? Mm. Um, and it also affected travel as well, a lot of travel disruption because yeah. of it. And the thing is about the soot is it, it that creates the particles that the water droplets can form on. And, and what you know, when you get a lot of water droplets together, you get cloud or fog if it's on the ground. And, and that's basically what happened. So today, that's the sort of subject we're going to be touching on. Um, so in other weather conditions, what's the most riskiest weather conditions we can think of? You know, what's the indirectly what can harm us directly what can harm us and uh you know what's what's down to just pure ignorance any thoughts heavy rain on its own is not not normally a problem unless you live drive or travel through uh, an area that's flooding as a so if we sun. have short sharp heavy rain that's fine isn't it you know that that's not a problem well i would say it depends on lots of factors okay. so it depends on whether the ground is dry or whether the ground is wet and saturated. Because if the ground is dry, then it should absorb more water, unless okay. it's tarmac or, you know, you're Maybe in the... Maybe we'll come on to that in a, okay. a little bit later. <laughs> but it, it, obviously... But, if it's... but directly, what, what, what can affect us? Blown over by wind. It happens in... <laughs> Has that ever happened? It happens yeah. in Leeds Le- Le- City Centre. Has it? Really? Yeah. Okay. So we, maybe we'll come on to this later, but I've done a bit of mountaineering in Scotland, and it, it really depends on your appetite and, you know, what you're up to at the time. So if you're up the top of, a, you know, a Monroe in the middle of winter... Right. Then it's pretty windy, right? It can be. Okay, so that's interesting, because the only time I've seen anybody blown over by the wind is in a city, and, and, and that was because of a thing called funneling between oh, yeah. really tall buildings, you know, and I've seen some poor solicitor come out of a building and get instantly blown over and all this paperwork went scattering all over the place. The Venturi effect, right? Uh, yes, exactly. Well, so in I guess so. <laughs> in mountaineering, they talk about for every 10 miles an hour of wind, it's equivalent to drinking a pint of beer. Right. right, which I think is quite good. So if you're out and it's 70 mile an hour gusts, you know that it's like walking when you've drunk seven pints of beer, which I'm sure nobody at home there will be able to identify with. There was an hanging onto lampposts, I remember yeah. that. So, that. so that equates, yeah, absolutely. And and yeah, so so the the third one you've touched on, you know, mountaineering there, ignorance, you know, is, is this something that is going to cause harm to us humans? because you just haven't thought things through. Haven't you know, looked at a weather forecast. Haven't, you know, I'm going to go up, you know, Ben Nevis in, in flip-flops. In a sombrero. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and this is the sort of thing we're looking at. So, uh, so yeah, maybe not the, the, the most dramatic uh, of weather, but it can be, uh, you know, uh, creeping up on you all the time. Yeah. So let's go with, back to Penny. You mentioned rainfall and flooding. So... Yeah, why does that affect us so much? Okay, so first of all, does anybody know what a flood is? Huh. Presumably, yeah. it's, I guess maybe this is a trick question. Let's see. Not at all. Okay, so stand, standing water that's standing on the ground somewhere, I guess depends where, what standing where means. it where it doesn't normally yeah stand. Well, okay water where there isn't normally water yeah, yeah. nailed it okay. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. A flash flood you know. yes all oh, right yes because in a flash flood it can either be from a river bursting its banks so for example boss castle boss castle yes exactly you, you know. know which is a classic example of flash flooding you know lots of heavy rain at the top of the rivers hmm. and then feeding down really really quickly so you just get this huge torrent of water 
carrying everything with it. So boulders, it's interesting, cars, it? luckily nobody died. So it's interesting looking at the landscape of Boss Castle. It's, you know, it's a, it, it's it's very V-shaped, isn't it? Yes. You know, so this is something that's happened before. You know, it's not the first event. And it's the same with Linton and Lynmouth. Yes, absolutely. You know, they're all V-shaped valleys. So yeah. obviously there's been a lot of... This, this is not... This is not the first occurrence. But Boss Castle was, it was a combination of things, wasn't it? So you've got this, like you say, this sort of big catchment area, we call it. So all this rainfall is getting funneled into one place. But obviously, Boss Castle's always been shaped like that. It doesn't get flash flooding all the time. So it coincided with, I think it was a convergence line, wasn't it? Yes, so there it was, was a really, really And thunderstorms, stru- very intense thunderstorms. You yeah. say Boss Castle's always been shaped like that, but has it? Has this eroded over time because this sort of thing has happened before? Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, I'd, I'd yeah. suggest that most of the erosion would probably be done by you know intermittent light rain that fed the the normal stream that was within its bank in the bottom of that valley. Right. Okay. These flash flooding events, although if you go back millennia, yes, I'm sure one or two have happened before. I'd be surprised if there'd been many. So, so that. what actually happened in the Boss Castle event? So, what? Why was you know why? Where did all this rain come from? So, as um, Neil has said, it came from what we call a convergence line. Right, okay. Um, and it resulted in really intense, sort of almost monsoonal, torrential thunderstorms, which just stayed in one place almost, very, very localised, at the right. top of the, the sort of streams that feed into the main river that flows through Boss Castle. So you had a standing... So you had a sort of like a standing... Static. Yeah. Instead of a moving thunderstorm that we normally use. So what's a convergence line exactly? Um, so I think this one, because I was in the US at the time, so I don't <laughs> know it, yeah. all the details, but I think it was probably caused by a sea breeze because it happened in August. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. So so I'm not a meteorologist, but yeah, that's my understanding. It's actually really interesting when you look at the data from that day, you can see all the weather sort of moving past Boss Castle, but there's this one feature that just is completely set over the top of this, you know, this catchment area. And so the way the weather was just set up on that day, you just had this standing feature, which just didn't move while all the other weather did. So as I understand it, so so the land in, this is a summer event, wasn't yes, it? Yes, yeah. it was in so, August So the, the land's getting really, really hot. And comparatively, the sea temperature is quite cool. So the land is heating up and therefore air is rising above the land. Yes. And that's drawing in the, the, the sea breeze. So you've got a sea breeze, but if you've got the, the but wind... But you're on a peninsula here in the yes, southwest. Yes, but Boss Castle is in the north right, of the peninsula. Okay. So you've got the sea breeze coming in, but the wind that you would have had from the weather pattern was coming from the opposite direction. Right. Up against it. So and, and just, you've got the sea breeze butting go up against and, yeah, the, the, the gradient up. wind, and yeah. so it's got to go up. And because of the atmospheric conditions, it was very conducive for huge thunderstorms to right. develop. So that that's what we would need in a thunderstorm, isn't it? Is uplift. You yes, know? And, yes. And no matter where it comes from. Yeah. But on this occasion it was yeah, it was the weather system butting into the sea breeze and just rising upwards and it just got this standing yeah. thunderstorm. And there was lots of water vapour in the atmosphere that right, was when okay. it was lifted. Okay. Um and it had you know it had the right vertical <laughs> profile. Come on, Nick. <laughs> to, to, to form, you know, these very severe standing thunderstorms. Yeah, I've, I've seen loops of the radar from that day. It was one storm that consistently regenerated in the same spot as the initial cell in that location faded. It was regenerating another one almost in the exact same spot, and it just continued for several hours. 
as you say, the shape of the valley, the catchment is what we call flashy. It means yeah. when it when it right. rains. Okay. When it rains at the top, that rain travels down the catchment, and the rivers um, react to it in a very short space of time. So it's uh, like another place such as Lynmouth and Linton that is susceptible to flash mm. flooding. So, you know, and it comes down because it's quite a steep valley. The water does come down with some momentum, which also adds the sort of the degree to damage, uh, the degree, degree of damage it can do. So, sorry. So I was just going to say, was this, so it was exceptional rainfall mm. as yeah. well. But, you know, and, and that's fairly obvious why that is a bit of a problem for, you know, human beings and towns and cities and that sort of thing. But uh, we, we're, t- we're touching on heat here as well. You know, that was a very, very warm summer's day. Um, so, you know, why, why, why do sometimes we have these summers that, is very very harmful to people and sometimes like you know we just have like the you know that we get flash floods you know we have hot days here we're, we're, i'm talking about uk here we're in a temperate climate so why do heat waves and uh, cold snaps affect us uh, why do we think that might be so i mean there's all kinds of health effects um associated with changes to your normal climate you know they especially for sort of vulnerable people elderly people and young people i think one of the really interesting things is as far as I understand it, it seems to be relative to what you're used to. You know, if you go to a really hot climate, then fewer people are being stressed by by the extremes of the heat than you know it would be if you moved all the people from the UK to that climate. Hmm. You know, so it's about being outside of your sort of physiological norm for for what your body's used to. Yeah. So so I think especially within the UK, if you if you've got a sudden you know a hot snap, if you like, you know, a, a very very short brief period of hot weather. We'd be able to cope. It'd be all really nice, and maybe people would go out and get sunburns, and that'd be about it. Most of us would cope. Like I say, when you look at the impact of these heat waves on people, it 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 massively affects the elderly, the vulnerable, the people who have underlying conditions. You know, they're the people who are really impacted by this. But if it's only short term, that would be fine. It's when it starts to become a little bit more long term. So we're looking at hot weather. Um, I was going to say, it, I agree, it's it's the long term, but also the fact that it doesn't cool down at night. Right. So if the temperature doesn't go below, say, 15 to 20 degrees at night, then people can't cool down after the heat of the day. So their bodies are never being able to cool down enough so in order to be able to cope with the heat the following day. Yeah. It only takes the order of 48 hours of above average temperatures, daytime maxes, maximum temperatures and nighttime minimum being high for us to start issuing sort of heat-based alerts That's interesting. so so i guess the point is the longer it's hot or cold for the more likely we are to have more problems but that's really interesting that just with a actually relatively short kind of snap of temperature you still get effects right yeah oh yes absolutely just not as many i suppose um and i know that recently um we've seen the number of tropical nights where the temperature doesn't fall below 20 degrees celsius right, okay. in the uk has been increasing Right. Is that a definition then? That's called a tropical that a night. A tropical night is Even where the temperature the doesn't fall below 20 degrees. Yeah. So that that was my understanding was once the temperature stops falling at night, that's when it starts to become difficult for the most vulnerable. But the other problem with, the you know, and, and basically hot weather we're associating with high pressure, I guess. High pressure that's causing a blocking system maybe over the UK, which is normally has quite mobile systems going through it. Uh, a lot of the time but when that weather becomes static that's when the UK stops functioning really you know this is when things start to 
increasing problems. We don't get the cool nights, so people can't lose, you know, so the most vulnerable can't lose heat. But we're also looking at inversions and trapping pollution again. And this is when, you know, people with emphysema, as asthmatics and that sort of thing start to really struggle. Yes, and that, and, and also you've got, during the summer, you would n normally have high ultraviolet levels as well, mm -hmm. which is obviously going to mean strong sunshine. Yep. So if people are so out in the sunshine, -term, yeah, yeah, if you're in the sunshine for a long time as well, and let's to face see it, you know, as soon as we get that. sunny weather in, in in the UK, the Brits go yay, <laughs> you know, and run out and go and sit in the sun for for hours on end, which is seriously not good for us because we're just not designed for that. We've mentioned the danger of inversions a couple of times, so it's maybe worth unpacking just what we mean by an inversion. So this is something that comes up, uh, it comes up quite often on the podcast. The idea here is that that an inversion is like a cap on the lower layer of the atmosphere. So especially with like bad air quality, mm -hmm. if you imagine all the cars and all the sources of pollution at ground level, they're all sort of belching this smoke out and it's not being dissipated through the, the whole atmosphere, right? It's getting stuck where we live at the bottom because as the air starts to rise up, it uh, so yeah, hot air rises above air that uh, is cooler than it, right? Yeah. It's more buoyant, like a hot air balloon. But if you've got an inversion in the temperature profile, um, it means that this air hits a lid and the air above it is warmer than it is. So it stops it wanting to rise. It just doesn't go anywhere. It yeah. just doesn't continue to go up. And basically what you see is the visibility over days gets reduced. Mm. You know, you see the haze, and, you know, and this is what we call it. It's haze. It, it's, 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 it's haze is defined as um, lower visibility uh, where there's no moisture involved, whereas, you know, fog and, and mist are, you know, uh, involve moisture. Yes, yeah, it's but you start to see these particulates in, in the atmosphere, especially London or, you know, Birmingham or, you know, some of the major cities. I mean, it's February now at the minute, and we, we'll see, we're seeing this at the minute around Devon where we're recording this, and you'll see it if you go outside in winter. You can notice there's much more sort of hazy weather at this time of year than you'll see in kind of, you know, the rest of the year. Yeah, and, and this is, is due to, as you say, Neil, is the inversions that, uh, that we suffer. So just... Think about the, the, the really significant hot summers that the UK has had. We had the summer of 76, we had the summer of 2003, and, well, last year, 2018, as we record this. Um, so what was going on there? Was it high pressure that was involved in, in all of this, or was it just...? Yep, uh, blocking patterns, as we call it, are areas of high pressure, normally overall just to the east of the UK. They introduce basically a warm south or some sort of southerly flow and bringing warm air um, from the continent, from Africa, up to ourselves. And it's even it's just been found recently in the last year, so even the subsidence or the forming of these inversions, the sort of compression of the air actually helps and aids the actual temperature rises much above um, you just get through the sun. Sunshine so, so hold on, run that by me again. So you're saying you're <laughs> saying you're you're saying compressing the air in a high temperature increases the the heat energy from inputting of the work so this is so the, i'm talking about physical work with a capital w are we here. talking like a bicycle pump when yeah. you squeeze the air absolutely yes yeah. Sub oh, so cool. subsidence uh sinking and becoming compressed as pressure increases in the lower atmosphere actually the subsidence warms the air as it as it, as it drops in in um, altitude the pressure gets higher that air like diabetically warms up and that actually has been found only in the last year or so there's been a paper 
that's found uh, the, really yeah the input of that and presumably that's a really minor well not a really minor presumably that is a minor component of the total heating of that air you'd be surprised really? um yeah it's it, more significant than people imagined beforehand do you have a feel off the top of your head for like how much of the heating might come from the, the compression i don't know as a percentage it yeah. was best best among a uh, heat wave in europe northwest europe across france um mm. earlier earlier in the earlier noughties and and another point is if the ground is dry then obviously the energy that's coming from the sun is not being used to evaporate exactly right okay so, so that's, that's another just, that is so an, it's baking basically yeah, you know yeah. so so when people say it's baking hot yeah. that's actually quite true yes know? so what happens when we get high pressure in winter then you know so when is when is this affected us let's think of the differences between in the summer high pressure It'll often mean clear skies, good weather, lots of sunshine. In the winter half of the year, the sun's below the horizon for more than half the time. So you're actually getting a net loss of energy or a net cooling when you're there. So that's why you end up with cold snaps often associated with high pressure in winter. In summer, you can flip all that on the on upside down almost. And you've got the sun above the horizon for longer than it's below. So when we have high pressure in summer, it's a net warming almost day and day. It's that so that's, simple. So that's really interesting. I guess there's also a contribution from where the air tends to come from as well, right? So is it right to say during a high pressure over the UK, we tend to either get air sort of from the south or from the east. So we're getting this, this air transported off the continent. It depends where the centre of the high is really, you know. And, and, and in the summer of 76 and the summer of 2003, the high pressure was situated so it was drawing air up from the, you know, sort of Iberian Peninsula in North Africa. Um, but the, the, the winters I'm thinking about at the moment, uh, 1947 was one of them. The high pressure was such that it was drawing cold air from the east, as in the beast from the east. <laughs> but the, I think the point is here that that air is coming from a part of the world that's a long way away from the oceans, right? And so the oceans have got, we're, we're next to the ocean, obviously. So that's normally got this really tempering effect on the temperature because the, the heat sort of inertia, the, temp, the inertia and the temperature of the oceans is, is large. So it doesn't tend to swing as much as the air between summer and winter. No, but the origin of the air, you know, from wherever it's coming from, as it goes over the ocean, it's basically just attracting moisture. So this is where you would get high rainfall in summer or, or or maybe a lot of snow in winter depending on where that high pressure was situated it's extremes isn't it as as neil says if you've got hot baking land it's able to absorb a lot more energy from the sun than a shiny sort of glittering ocean and as a result it means that the land in summer heats up warms up and bakes it's where you get your hottest air sourced from and in the winter likewise this land has got snow cover on it it's it's getting virtually no sun whatever sun hits it bounces straight off the beautiful white surface back out into space so this is and why where we, you get our real coldest this air is what we call albedo albedo yes basically how reflective is the earth's surface so this is why if you go to the middle of a, a continent a similar latitude to us you know like uh, the middle of canada or something like this you've got these huge temperature swings of like 80 degrees centigrade between summer and winter because they've not got this temperance that we get from the ocean right so why do we you know, if we get a really really bad winter which we, you know we've had a few of them in the uk why do we not cope as well as other countries that preparedness speak for yourself i'm from scotland we cook fine thanks very much <laughs> i think it's the preparedness i think it's also the variety of the weather that we see you know countries like um finland sweden and norway in the winter they get snow they get blizzards all the time so every time every winter so they're completely and utterly ready for it mm. and they've got all the equipment out you know they've got the snow tires the cold tires 
the snowshoes. It's about investment as well, isn't it? Um, I was going yeah, to say, so, is it down to economic, economics as well, you know? Yeah, is, I, this I, is the sort of... Yes, I, th- I think it is, because for us, we might get maybe one, possibly two severe snow events a year, mm. and it's not cost-effective yeah. to have all that equipment and resources that perhaps the Scandinavian countries... Or, or even, you know, so I grew up north of Glasgow, and when it snows, we've got snow plows. You know, it's not that we're inherently better people at dealing with snow. It's just that there's more people to clear the roads. And in Devon, and it's come worth up. the investment. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, in yeah, Devon, it yeah. doesn't come up that often, does it? Yeah, so. I remember one of my geography teachers once telling me the reason we have such pointy roofs in the UK is not because of all the rainfall. It's for the one in 10 years that we actually get heavy snow and it will all fall <laughs> off. You could have a much lower pitched apex over your house. And shed the rain. To shed the rain. Mm. But then you know one in ten years your roof would collapse with the snow so um, so yeah so that's preparedness okay so that's that's interesting but let's move on to something slightly different un un unpreparedness unpreparedness what's the word let's go for unpreparedness <laughs> so this is another way that, that 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 the weather can affect us and 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 how can people mitigate against this and what am I hinting at here is this the flip-flops and sombreros up uh, mountains in a conversation? <coughs> this is, I'm going up Ben Nevis on a pogo stick. As someone who loves being in the mountains in winter, the interesting way to look at this, I think, is it's about knowledge and about decision-making, right? So there's nothing wrong with going up mountains in winter, but you have to get the education and know what you're doing. And absolutely, what we're talking about here is people who, for whatever reason, through lack of judgment, lack of education, or just through you know, making mistakes, end up in situations that they're not, not comfortable with. And yeah, you, it happens every year, doesn't it? There's somebody who's decided to, to... I remember, I'm sorry to if you're listening at home to invoke you, this poor lady who um, ended up going for a jog and ended up halfway up Cairngorm or Ben Nevis or something. And she famously was armed only with a selfie stick, you know? That's the way, the way the papers uh, put it. But I can see how this would happen, you know? You're out for a nice jog, you get carried away. And the thing about the mountains is the weather just changes so quickly, you know? It's just, it's not comparable to most of our experience with weather. Yeah, I, I understand what Neil is saying because I'm a sailor and uh, I'm also a powerboat instructor. And one of the things we're trying to do is educate people when they go out, when they're going out on the water to look at weather forecasts, whether it's, you know, through an app, whatever it is, just look at the weather forecast. Because as you said, the weather can change really quickly on the mountain. It can also do that out in the water, particularly the sea. But other, you know, you say look at the weather forecast, you know, I could watch, uh, you know, TV broadcasts and that sort of thing. But are there specific weather yeah, forecasts? Yeah, exactly. So there's a thing called MWIS, for instance, the Mountain Weather Information so, so Service. So why do we need these? Why, why is there specific weather forecast for mountains? So, so there's a couple of reasons, right? One is that you're trying to make a specific set of decisions when you're in the mountains, which is different from, you know, should I take a jacket to work in the morning? This is about exposure, about things like avalanche risk and very esoteric ways of dealing with the weather that most people don't need to ever know about. And the, the other one is about, um, about really interpreting the weather forecast for that location. So our weather forecasts are really good, but actually it becomes very difficult to make weather forecasts or increasingly difficult to make them in the mountains where... Things are less certain. You can get much more localized weather. They can really, really affect so, you. So it is definitely different in the mountains. Yeah, and the consequences are higher as the other thing. So you need to know what risk you're taking on, essentially. Right. Is that the same penny as um, as out at sea? Yes, absolutely. Um, you have to understand that if you're sailing, for example, then that's an integral part of your sport. 
So you have to know what the wind direction is. You have to know what the wind strength is and you have to know how the wind is going to affect the sea. You know, there's this um, this sort of off-sighted thing that there's no such thing as bad weather, only bad clothing. And it's, that's almost Billy right. Connolly. Was that Billy Connolly, Billy was it? Connolly. Yeah. So there's, there's, that's almost right. And it's, it's that plus knowledge, you know. And actually, one of the best experiences I've ever had in the mountains was walking up Cairngorm in 50 mile an hour winds, a complete whiteout, like being on the inside of a ping pong bottle. But it was an amazing experience to have the kind of the knowledge and the equipment to, mm. to do that. Yeah, I, I, I do agree with that. I mean, I've been across the English Channel in a, a severe gale nine, mm. but I was with a skipper who had sailed in cyclones, but we were all togged up. We were all skilled enough to be able to deal with that. It wasn't a pleasant experience, but we had relied on, you know, the shipping forecast. We'd looked at gale warnings. We'd looked at inshore forecasts. So we'd looked at everything that we could do and we judged that we could... We could sail in that weather. It was really a, a stretch to sail in that. I wouldn't want to do it again, to be per- to be but perfectly the, honest. The, this day and age, do you feel that much more comfortable with the forecast that you can obtain? Because, I mean, there have been disasters, haven't there? Yes, there has. I mean, you know, thinking back to um, the sea again, in 1979, we had the, the, the Fastnet race, um, which, unfortunately, on the third day, when a lot of the yachts were sort of halfway between the Isles of Scilly and, and sort of Southern Ireland, where the Fastnet Rock is, uh, a very unusual deep, low pressure area came along in the middle of August. And um, unfortunately, we we saw 19 people die in that. So that's not so, the sort of deep low in August is not really the sort of thing you would expect. This, no, this is no, that's right. The, yeah. and, and in 1979, we didn't have the accuracy in the mm. forecasting that we do now. And this is the same sort of thing that caused us out in 1987 with the, mm. you know, the great storm. So yeah. yeah, absolutely. And also in 1987, we didn't have the weather warning service that we mm. now have. In actual fact, 1987 precipitated the National Severe Weather Warning Service being set up it was set up after the public inquiry and the internal inquiries, etc. And to be clear, this National Severe Weather Warning Service is one of our primary jobs at the Met Office, right? Absolutely. Yeah. We, we have that unique remit to supply weather warnings for the whole of the UK. Yeah, and if anybody wants to actually have a look at how we come up with warnings, you know, if you go on to uh, the Met Office mm. public website, you know, there's an explanation there of how we come about it, how the matrix is built, you know, and what warnings we will give and, and how to adapt to them. So... And I've got a question for all of you. Can you name the seven weather elements that we warn for in the uh, National Severe Weather Warning Service? No. (laughs) Uh, All right, I'm going to guess. Okay, go for it. Oh, no, I've said it now, haven't I? Thunder and lightning, they're separate? Yes. Uh, No, they're not. They're not separate. No, No, they can't be. Well, well, partially you're right. Lightning lightning is definitely there. No one's ever died of thunder. Lightning, uh, thunderstorm. Uh, so, put, so uh, no, hold on, hold on. No, I think it's worth dwelling on this for a second. So, no, so actually, I sort no, of are right. Uh, I am right because well, lightning's a threat and thunderstorms are a separate threat. So it's not like they're a separate warning. We can yes, warn for thunderstorms se- yeah, yeah, without can, warning but, for lightning. But thunderstorms, you're talking about the heavy rain, mm-hmm. the damaging winds, yeah, no, that's and fine, the hail, <laughs> and the heavy see. rain. And lightning, you're talking about the lightning. You're not yeah. talking about the thunder that uh, goes along with it. Okay, so that's, that's that's two. That's two. Rain. Yeah. Wind. Wind. Yep. Heat. No. Yep. Really? Fog. Yes. Fog. Okay. What well, we had ice. in the last couple of weeks. Yes. yes. No ice. We're up to 
Eight. Yeah, that's, okay. <laughs> so, so we want lightning, thunderstorm, rain, snow, wind, ice, fog. So, okay, so that's really interesting. So there's no heat warnings. There are heat warnings. Yeah, but that's a... That's, that's a, a separate yeah. health service. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Only for England as and, well. And also, and this one's sort of, I can see this one's debatable. There's no air quality warnings. So we, we wouldn't be doing a weather warning for something like the 52 smog. We, we do alerts for air quality um that's a service that goes to government and specialist agencies so we don't do too much on, mm-hmm. on our public facing side about that as it's it's more in the remit of other people other government departments rather than ourselves so that's um that's all the the slow burners really uh, for you know potential hazards uh, weather wise so let's go on to the immediate hazards i mean we've touched on lightning there how much of a risk is that <laughs> Depends where you are in the world. If you uh, if you live in in the Arctic Circle, very low. If you, li- <laughs> <laughs> if you live in the tropics, very high. Right. Okay. Really, very yeah. high. The uh, if you look at the distribution of lightning across the globe, yeah, hot spots on the equatorial parts of Africa, South America, sort of the maritime continent as we call it, which is Indonesia, the Philippines. What, what, there's a lake in Venezuela. Is it Venezuela that 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 has the most and it produces most of the ozone? So one of so, the so yeah, so because lightning strikes make this ozone gas makes ozone, yeah. yeah so uh, and it has it's 250 days out of 365 or something like that. It's, it's incredible. It's called Lake. Well, sorry, I'm not very good at Spanish pronunciation. Lake Maracaibo. Maracaibo. <laughs> sorry to the people who live in venezuela for that but uh, it's a brackish saltwater lake basically surrounded by a ring of mountains in the uh, the northwest of venezuela so it's it's a really interesting so shallow brackish saltwater lake hot source of sort of moisture at low levels at night it cools down all the winds flow off the mountains and meet over this lake so that's called uh catabatic catabatic yes And that, that, that maintains quite actually thunderstorms just in this region. It's like almost the perfect sort of like, you know, the, the bullseye storm. in the dartboard. Everything flows to this point. And then by day in this area, um, the mountains around it heat up and the, the, the um, moisture from the lake's drawn outwards and the thunderstorms form wow. over the mountains. So it's okay. got this perfect sort of cyclical cycle. It's, it's that little area is optimum for thunderstorms by day and by night. It's just right. worth saying here that... Uh, it's these big sort of like convective storms that are always responsible for thunder. Is that fair to say? Yes, you've always got to have um, pretty much convection, quite yeah. quite vigorous, and uh, generally we we quite like there to be quite a lot of ice involved in the clouds that, that's caused thunderstorms as well. It just helps for separating the sort of positive and negative because, charges. Because so I think people are still sort of debating about this, but the idea is that the ice crystals that are getting you know pushed up through the atmosphere bounce off each other and rub against it's like a static balloon effect you know like rubbing a balloon on your jumper right absolutely and you start creating these static charges just from colliding into each other yeah and it'll charge one part of the cloud positively another part negatively and when that char- built up charges enough lightning will arc either to another cloud to access so another subsequent of uh, really really violent thunderstorms is uh, tornadoes and they tend to affect uh, uh, america for some reason yeah, a couple of hotspots around the world, North America or Tornado Alley, as many people know, it is really one. You've got a mixture of very warm, moist, low-level air being drawn in from the Gulf of Mexico. And then you've got air at a sort of mid and high-level elevations, which cools off a lot due to the basically the plateau of the Rocky Mountains and, and other things out towards the west there. Perfect ingredient for lots of energy at low levels, which when it's released is able to basically parcels of air raise, rise up you know, with huge amounts of energy and uh, cause yeah deep 
deep convection, thunderstorms, and all the associated hazards with that. So, so why do why do the thunderstorms in America uh, produce tornadoes, uh, and it, we don't get them over here? We we do get tornadoes here, but from a quite a different mechanism, <laughs> I'm afraid. So. The, the real violent, strong tornadoes, we, we need a special type of thunderstorm or a special type of cumulonimbus cloud, which is the, the basically the, the home of the thunderstorm. And that's called a, a supercell. And it, it's differentiated from other types of thunderstorms by having a persistent, and the key word here, rotating updraft. And it's that rotation which is, which is absolutely key for generating tornadoes. But as you say, we do get a lot of tornadoes in, this, in the UK, right? They're just much, much smaller. And I think it's interesting, you know, everybody knows about Tornado Alley. There's some other places like Bangladesh is a really big tornado hotspot. And I think we maybe don't know that in this country sometimes. It is. If you if you look at the world's most damaging sort of hailstorms and even some of the, the most catastrophic, like loss of life from tornadoes across the entire world, it tends to be northeast India and Bangladesh. And it's got that same mix, the Bay of Bengal, sort of source of like lots of low level moisture. Then you've got a high elevated plateau, you know, the Himalayas and the steppes to the north of that, lots of sort of continental air that's that's cool aloft it's just again got that lovely mixture of everything you need yeah so the, these, these can give you lightning strikes and give you tornadoes and they can give you these huge hailstones as well so i, I used to, i did some work in colorado and the size these are as big as your fist some of these hailstones i mean they're really dangerous and there's a cottage industry and popping dents out of people's cars and around there because it's such a common occurrence <laughs> yeah i think it's an exemption if you take a hire car in yeah North America. It, is. <laughs> it is actually because last time i was in colorado the guy in front of me was almost in tears because he they stripped his deposit because of the hailstorm yeah i think so many people take them when they go storm chasing in that part of the world you ah. see so it's a, an occupational hazard of so talking of vice and rain so why do we occasionally and we had it i think it was a a month or so ago as we're recording this in uh, in february 2019 we had a thing called freezing rain yeah this is super interesting stuff isn't it? It, it it's kind of unusual in this country although it does happen like you say but it causes real destruction and uh you know there's a lot so, of rec- recorded yeah. events in north america in particular what what is it yeah so the stuff that falls out the clouds in this country when it falls out the clouds tends to sort of um so it starts basically as snow or ice, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, so most rain in this country starts as snow, right? And then on the way down, it tends to melt before it hits the ground and we normally get rain. Mm-hmm. But this can, you know, there's different things that can happen. It can melt and then it can refreeze before it hits the ground. And uh, that's when you start to get things like sleet, you know? But then in, in this instance, what's happened is the snow has melted and then it's hit an air, uh, a layer of really cold air just before it's got to the ground. It has not had a chance to freeze back into ice before it actually makes contact with us. And I think this this is down to really water is this fantastically weird substance that does loads of really unexpected things. One of the things that's weird about water is that in some ways it's melting point and it's freezing points different, which may come as a surprise. It's a bit blurred, isn't it, really? Yeah, so this is it. We tend to learn at school that the freezing point of water is zero degrees centigrade, but actually it's a bit more complicated than that. It's melting point zero degrees, but for pure water, it's freezing point is somewhere around minus 40 degrees centigrade, actually. And the reason that we don't tend to see that normally is because if you have any sort of speck of dirt or, or even a, an ice crystal in your water... So this is what we call a, a nice nucleus. It gives you a seed right and right. people you might have seen, you can look this up on youtube you can see people super cooling like tubs of water and then whacking it with a with a hammer and that shockwave causes a seed and then the whole thing freezes in a snap you know and it's it's the similar thing with freezing rain this is still water that's super cooled is the word we have so the temperature is below zero but it hasn't turned but to it's ice still yet. liquid so as soon as it touches the substance it, it freezes onto it and really right. the danger about this 
isn't just the traditional danger of kind of skidding on ice, although that's bad. It's also the sheer weight that it uh, attaches to trees and uh, pylons and that kind of thing. Right, so it just coats everything it touches. Yeah, and, it, and exactly. So, you know, we're talking about sort of 15 centimetres of ice sometimes can just be suspended off all the power lines, and that's a, that's a lot of weight. It is, yeah. You try and lift a bucket of water, you know how heavy water is. Yeah. Okay, well, that's been great. Thanks, everyone, for joining us on this slightly morbid episode of uh, Mostly Weather. But um, if we can go, just go round the table one last time and think, you know, what would be the worst weather you would like to encounter, you would least <laughs> like to encounter? Um, I, I think for me, Jeff, I think um, heavy rain, which causes flooding, is very common in the UK. Um, and I think my top tip would be don't enter flood water that is moving or more than 10 centimetres or four inches deep. Wow. OK. Because it can knock you over and you can't stand back up again. And also there's hidden dangers under that water, like Absolutely. manholes and yeah. all sorts of things. So just be very careful of moving flood water. Yeah, don't risk that Ford. Nick? For me, it's poor air quality smog. Um, even in the UK, when I go out running, you experience that sort of dryness at the back of the throat and that sort of tightness of breath. When we've, when we've got hairs here, if you live in some parts of the world, like you know the Indian subcontinent where it's widespread, you effectively spend the whole winter season sort of choking on, on fumes and... I just can't imagine it being so enormous that there'd be no escape from it. You know, the air you breathe, yeah. powerless to do anything about it and powerless to mitigate against it. For me, I'm glad I feel very lucky that I don't live in that part of the world at that time of the year. So I think some of the weather that I've got sort of the most respect for, um, but I've also enjoyed kind of so much is snow and avalanche risk, actually. You know, right. and, and uh, you know, learning how to to kind of manage that danger and still be able to enjoy that environment and but have you managed that by moving to exeter yeah that's right <laughs> minimal risk yeah by, by education right and um yeah just being aware yeah that's yeah it. absolutely personally myself you know uh once it gets to march and the sun starts coming out more often then that's me staying indoors because i burn so yeah. easily and i've just been burnt so many times it's just i hate summer <laughs> yes well, thanks everyone for joining us for Mostly Weather, produced by Adrian Holloway and Claire Nazia. Don't forget to listen out for Weather Snap, which discusses the weekly weather, and uh, we'll hopefully speak to you soon in a new episode. Mostly Weather is a podcast by the UK Met Office.